Welcome to a new episode of Blue Jay Bite. Now, here's your host, my dad, Brian's aunt. Welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bite podcast. That's, that's, what, like, that's what it's called. That's like a soft open. Like, that's, we got going a little bit, and yeah. now we're hitting, right? Like, opening credits. We kind of did the thing where they play a little bit of the show. And they get everybody like I'm thinking like Law and Order, right? And then yeah. they do, do, right? They bring it in. We just did that. We didn't get away in a good bit, though. We so just did that. We're ready. To, we're ready to rock. We're here live from the Script Town Brewing. Brian's gonna get moved. Jay's won two in a row. <laughs> Jay's won two in a row. I know where it all started from. Matt with Script Town Brewing. We had our uh, second viewing party for uh, men's basketball roadie the uh, last week. Uh, official victory bar of the Jays, right? Official. Official or unofficial? Do we call it unofficial? Like, I feel like we should tread on the unofficial part yeah. and just like make it even cooler. Like, you don't have to watch the game here, but if you want to get a dub, you got to. Yeah. But it's if not we, official. If we have a victory, if we have a viewing party for Villanova and they win by 20, then we can call it official. It's going to be tough, right? That's a Wednesday night. I think that yeah. we should probably try to throw something together. I don't know. They could get I'm ready. I, all I'm saying is after two wins, I'm ready to test it against like a marquee, like an improbable win. Team, you know I, mean? I don't know, dude. That, they Marquette, could get, Villanova. They, they could get boat raced in that, but can you Let's imagine? Let's go big. Let's go for it. Maybe yeah. the place is magic and we just don't know. Oh, it feels magic. Yeah. I'm feeling the magic right now. <laughs> no. Jays win at Georgetown on MLK Day where they're fresh as hell. Baby blue jerseys. Ooh. Hoping to see those again. Super smooth. John. Uh, I've been my whole life for those jerseys. John, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I literally have because back in the I, ninth, early 90s they played. I don't remember. They, uh, early uh, early nineties they okay. wore them. So like they, and then the roadies went to navy blue with powder blue and white numbers. All right, uh, those were the roadies for a while, and then they went to the royal blue. Um, yeah, I'm early nineties when I, I started like ninety three, ninety four. When Rick Johnson coached, they just wore Rick Johnson's on the last road. year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even have uniforms. T-shirts and shorts. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, navy um, blue. But I'm, I was soaked. So I think at one point in the ten day span, they wore. Their road blues, their road baby blues, the home whites, and home the uh, pinks. Oh, the no, they went white. They had a white, yep. road blue, road baby blue, pinks. So they went gray. Do they go blue? They go blue, gray, white. I don't think gray's been in the mix. It's was except early, they, they were early season. Market. Did they? Yes. Oh, God, yeah, so five colors there. Yeah, so they've gone five for five last. I wonder what they're Big school, big timing, big timing fools. Alternates all over the place. All right, uh, jersey colors notwithstanding, so they win at Georgetown. We can talk a lot about that game a little bit if we want, but I feel like uh, everybody that's listening to the podcast is probably caught up on our coverage there. Um, but they haven't really probably had a chance to yet, although you guys had another great Blue Jay beat uh, post-game show with John Niatawa from the Omaha World Herald after the Butler win. But the Blue Jays host Butler, a team that waxed the Jays at Hinkle Fieldhouse a couple weeks ago. Creighton comes back and they win a they win a slugfest, 75-61, pull away late. Um, different kind of game, wasn't it? It was a very different kind of game. Did it feel like that when you were watching it? Like it kind of felt like that late. I don't know if it felt like that the whole time, but I knew the Jays were. I was struggling offensively, but still I was staying in control. I was extremely like, impressed by how the Jays recognized early that the three-point shot was not falling for them. And instead of just continuing to run that weave that essentially got them into a ton of trouble at Butler, Butler got a, uh, Butler forced a ton of turnovers in that road game at the top of the key, at that handoff spot. So they switched everything. So they switched everything. Yeah, they 
moved Jays. with the Jays. Yeah, they moved with the Jays, and we were not um, we were not tough enough with the basketball at that point. Not right. saying our team was soft by any means, because we don't <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> but uh, they were not tough enough with the basketball at Hinkle, especially there. They got a couple. Uh, Butler then trans- translated that. Obviously, uh, when they make a turnover, exposed at the front of at the top of the key there, the runout for the opponent who steals the ball is a much easier uh, basket to convert than if you turn the ball over down in the post or something, you got guys back and get back. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the difference. The Jays still committed that defense versus the transition defense. Yeah, I mean, the Jays still committed way more turnovers. Uh, what was it, 14, 15? No, 18. 18 yeah. on Friday night. Um, and I think they were, actually, that's more turnovers than they committed against Butler on the road, but they did not hurt them nearly as much. And I think part of that was the Jays decided to get a little downhill. They were not... I think I think I saw something after the game where Jays went 21 of 30 from shots inside the three-point arc, um, and, and a lot of that was just a focus on getting the ball on the pick and roll to Teeny, and um, when they would cover that, it, I felt like our guards, Davion included, or maybe yeah, Davion leading down the down charge, Marcus got, got the downhill, play they got the downhill, got to the 10, and Tyshawn got to the free throw line a lot. Like yeah, there was. Uh, there, was, there was some versatility to the offense. It wasn't just a stand-and-gun type And of I think it helped. Butler's bigs obviously got into some foul trouble. Um, Joey Braun picked up two um, in the first half. I think that helped the Jays. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I just it did. It felt, and I think Coach Mack was talking about it on the post-game radio show, they we committed more turnovers. The, the pace of it still felt like that game at Hinkle. Mm-hmm. But I, just, I feel like we were just more locked in. Maybe that's the pink out. Maybe that's just being at home. Obviously, it's, um, yeah, you know, some of it, for sure. Like, your home crowd gives you more energy. And Butler clearly fed off of their home crowd. I mean, they were coming off of a disappointing loss against Georgetown, which was preceded by an, a, a humiliating, loss, humiliating loss at Florida. So, like, they were kind of reeling with their backs against the wall. And, you know, early morning start, the home crowd was fired up at Hinkle. So, they fed off their home crowd, for sure. And then Creighton just not having a great day offensively in terms of ball security, fed into that even more. Like, you know, it made the game not as close as it probably should have been. Jays didn't really give themselves a chance to be in the fight with how many times they turned the ball over in live ball situations and when Butler had runouts. Um, so, yeah, it was the opposite was true in Omaha. You know, Creighton fed off their home crowd, uh, made some big plays, made some big shots, made some big plays in the hustle area of the game. Oh, you know, gosh. Like getting on the floor, getting after loose balls, like – um, reading defenses on the backside, like I think Tyshawn had a great play, uh, a great sequence in the second half where after uh, Martin Crumple and Davion Mintz trapped the ball screen on Kamar Baldwin, um, he came, Baldwin came down, you know, kind of towards the baseline, tried to throw a skip pass across the court, which is what you want to do. Like you want to, yeah, defense rotation, you want to get, get it to the other side, get it reversed, right. Um, Tyshawn read his eyes, picked it off, took it all the way down, got to the got into the paint, um, jump stops, let two guys fly by, and then just laid easily. Yeah, that was a really nice, glass. like a really steady, calm sequence from a sophomore. Like you know, reading the defense, reading the quarterback's eyes, if you will, making a yeah. making a nice pick six, taking it down, and not going super aggressive to the rim, like going smart to the rim. Like he went down there, he knew. Made the defense th- know he was going to the rim hard, and then they over pursued him, and he got an easy bucket out of it by being patient with the jump stop. So, 
Yeah, that was, was one of that was, that was a great play. That was one of Kamar Baldwin's five turnovers. Um, yep. He led the team in with five turnovers, thirteen overall for Butler. Yeah, his usage rate was crazy. I think the ball was. I mean, I mean, they were just trying to play through him. Also, I mean, McDermott, McDermott was off. Tucker was off. Uh, they couldn't get the ball into Bronk, so they just tried to have the Kamar Baldwin show. Yeah, Bronk only played fifteen minutes. Um, he went four of eight from the field, but didn't attempt a three. I think yeah. four of eight for how close he usually is. It's pretty good defense. I agree. Yeah, he, he usually, usually gets when he's around the rim a lot. I thought he did a good job of walling up and making his looks tough. Yep. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Jordan Tucker, who had been really coming on strong, the oh, Duke yeah. transfer. That guy is legit. And he goes two of ten from the field, one of eight from three point range. A couple turnovers in there too. He got he got some boards for them. He was tied for the uh, team high of five rebounds uh, along with Paul Jorgensen. That guy's a little Jay's feisty. Killed him on the glass too. Crushed him. Right? Defense rebounding. Was really good against Georgetown, above 80%, which is really good. That'll win you every ball every time. Yeah. Uh, they were near 87% against Butler. That's, yeah, not, they that's out, not easy to do. Out rebounded um, on the defensive glass. Out rebounded Butler 33 to 24. Um, Jay's also picked up seven offensive rebounds, mm-hmm. um, leading the way on the glass. Uh, it was Martine with eight. But, I mean, it was a balanced effort. Look at no, that. Mitch Ballard, seven. seven. I love Marcus Zagorowski, who really struggled from the field. He still goes seven points, six rebounds, four assists, How only two turnovers. How late in the game? Yeah. In traffic, going up in, like, in the crowd to grab that thing with two hands, bring it down, throw it over to Tini for the dunk, like, that sealed the game. That was a huge play, too. It was a huge play. The Jays were just, like, there's just, like, more fight, you know? Like, that's what Max been talking about in practice a lot. It's, like, Especially when they watch the St. John's film, like St. John's had 14 offensive rebounds, and that's not a team that crashes the glass crazy. So like, you're watching that, and you're like, how does this team come up with offensive rebounds, second chance opportunities, and like, how why is L.J. Figueroa just tearing them up on the glass and things like that? And it's like, when they watch the film of that, it's like, you know, they're trying to point that out. Like, guys, it's not, it's not, they're not like just sending an army to the glass. They're just beating us to spots. We think we're, we're waiting for them to come to us type no, of deal. You can't wait. And that's not how you win hoodie hoodie balls. It's not how you win rebounding battles. So the Jays just had more fight. Like, I think Mac mentioned in the postgame that uh, the two games in a row now, Creighton has been called for a block out, a foul yeah. on block out. And he's like, I love those kind of fouls. It means, <laughs> oh, it, means it means we're going to I hit know. somebody. You know what I mean? It means right. we're not waiting for someone to come to us. Like, we're going to get them. We're getting them. We're moving them out of the way and not the other way around. So it is a good sign. I thought, I, I think. Watching that defensive rebounding number is going to be huge because for Creighton to be – Creighton in the half court, I think, is one thing. They're very potent with their pace. But if they can get transition opportunities, they're just deadly. I mean, the, the whole league is going to have a tough time defending this team if they can get out in transition. And the way you get out in transition is you finish opposition defensively by grabbing that board and getting out and running. So if you, and if you have seven rebounds from Mitch and six from Marcus and six from Mintz, that's what, 20 rebounds? Yeah. 21 rebounds in the hands of a ball hand. Perfect guard. You know yeah. what I mean? And then Alexander with four, so 25 rebounds. Yeah. That turns straight away into fast break with no outlet pass. Right. You know what I mean? So think about how vital that is with how deadly Creighton is in transition, how good their offense is on the run. 25 boards that just turn straight into fast breaks. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, even coming off the bench, only playing nine minutes, Caleb Jones, so he picks up three rebounds, one off the offensive glass. Um, so it was a, it was a team effort. Uh, for sure against Butler and um, it's kind of telling you know uh, Tyshawn led the way with 19 points Martine with 16 Davion 14 and Mitch 13 
Um, it's really interesting to look at the season statistics for these guys. Um, you know, Tyshawn leading the way at 17.6 a game. Martin at 11. Mitch at 11. Marcus Zagorowski at 10.7. Davion 10.5. You got Damian in there who I know is trying to come back from the ankle surgery to clean stuff up um, at 9.4. But, I mean, you're getting even production from everybody in that starting five plus the, the, the first guy off the bench. And, and everybody's everybody can take care of it. Everybody can do something with it when they get it. And I think um, – that's where it makes those transition opportunities even more deadly, Matt, right? Because yeah. there's options on the break. And there's guys trust one another to make the plays. They trust one another to take the right shots. Um, you still get some of those early in transition threes. But, uh, you know, my, my understanding is that coaches don't hate those shots all the time just because you don't have the number anyway. So you take that, you take that pull up and, and give it a shot. But um, Well, creating spacing, too, like if you have a – if you have a Tyshawn Alexander grabbing a rebound and leading a break, and a Mitch Ballack in the corner sprinting to a three, and Martin Crample running into the rim, I mean, that's a lot to have to deal with as a defense on your heels. You know, you're backpedaling the whole way, trying to get there first, trying to get set up, trying to get matched up. That's, that's a pretty tough cover to have to deal with all of that, all of those weapons in, in what, about a four or five second spurt real quick? Right. So, yeah, one mistake or one miscommunication or you know, it only takes really one pass to get it up, get everybody in rotation, and it's too late. So that's Creighton loves their transition offense. It's one of the reasons why they why they do play small because um, that's their best lineup uh, offensively. And it's not just offensively in the half court; it's offensively in terms of like they can rebound and run. They get great shots, um, and to have the, the kind of shooters that they can put on the floor at the same time. That's what makes them deadly. That's what makes them as good as they can possibly be offensively is that small lineup. I know people want them to, you know, go big and match up better with these Big East teams, but, you know, there's not – when you look around the Big East, there aren't that many, like, twin tower lineups. There's not giants all over the place. Like, sure. Butler is a one big team. Like, Butler starts – what? They started judging Jordan Tucker at the four this week. Or for the Creighton game, he's six seven. But before that, it was Henry Badley, who's six four. Right. So Butler plays small. St. John's plays small with, you know, with length. They have length, but they play small. They have five guards on the floor essentially. Um, Georgetown is a team that plays big. Seton Hall plays big. DePaul plays big. But other than that, it's a bunch of small ball all over the place. So Creighton is matching up with the league, and they're trying to stay ahead of the curve offensively. And I think they do a pretty good job of it. Um, I know people like to see the big lineup on the floor, but it's a give and take. Like big lineup can help you defensively and on the glass, but it's a change-up because you take away some things offensively. The best lineup on the floor is a small lineup with Mitch at the four, running to corners, trailing the play. Like, anytime that body guy catches the ball, he's, he's in, like, the range in danger, you know what I mean? So yeah. That small ball lineup is very potent. And when you can have the kind of gang rebounding and the kind of balanced scoring that you just mentioned, I mean... That's 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 creating at its optimum. It's creating at its best. I'll take it. So yeah, we, we sat here watching Creighton at our viewing party against Georgetown. The Jays entered that night in last place in the league. They pick up the win at Georgetown. Uh, they pick up the win against Butler, and now the Jays s- seven games tied for third in the seven games into. 
Um, their Big East schedule, they're, they're tied for third. Um, they're tied with Georgetown and Providence with road wins against both those teams. Right. So now, tiebreaker-wise, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter too much right now, but those two road wins uh, look pretty large. I mean, it's tough to win on the road in this league, any league, really, in college hoops. And, uh, you know, sure, you would have loved to have that Marquette game, the dub, uh, or one of the two, Villanova-Marquette, the win, but essentially now the Jays get a chance to host St. John's, who's three and five in the league. Jays are three and four, but St. John's three and five in the league. They'll host Xavier, three and five in the league, um, in the next two home games, and it really sets up well for the Jays if they can keep pace and control the home court, protect the home court, um, to give a little distance here between them and teams like St. John's. They lost at St. John's, obviously. Uh, about a week and a half. No ago. one's obviously within striking distance of the top two, but if you can separate yourself in the middle a little bit, yeah, stay near that upper half, keep collecting wins, defend home court. You know, you put yourself in the conversation for an NCAA tournament at large bit. So that's kind of what where they sit now. It's like they kind of righted the ship a little bit. Now they have to take advantage of the home games they have. You know, this this week with you know, and Wednesday night's going to be a dogfight because. If any team, you know, Creighton is, has had to face some teams with their backs against the wall, and for the second time they get to do it against St. John's, because, yay, St. John's has had, what, two two-game losing streaks this year, and both times Creighton will be waiting for them in that third game. So, obviously the Johnnies got, them, got their number, had their number in Queens and got off the canvas, and they dropped two more, now they get Creighton again. So, and if you, you know, if people are paying attention to what's going on out in the the city that never sleeps with that team. It's not good right now. Um, yeah. they're, you're hearing a lot of the wrong things from a veteran team that had uh, NCAA tournament aspirations and big uh, ambitions for year four of the Chris Mullen era, and it seems like it's kind of coming unglued a little bit. Yeah, um, what was Shamari Pons' quote today? He said something to the effect. It was after the Georgetown game. Yesterday. Or, yeah, it was yeah. yesterday. Uh, it was just like we're not – we're not. A, we don't. We're feel drifting apart as yeah. a team or something like that. I felt like yeah. a Hallmark card, dude. I felt bad for the bump. I felt bad for the guy. I love Shamar. I feel man. bad too because he came back for yeah. I think what he thought was going to be a pretty well, especially when it was special. But like I think he thought it was going to be a really good year where things were going to start to click for this team. Well, the minute that Mustafa Herrick was uh, deemed eligible, but yeah, I'd say that changed their roster right. substantially. I mean, they uh, should. They don't use him very properly, but right. I, mean, I was shocked. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be shocked because, I mean, I hashtag Chris Mullen, but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I look at that team and I think if you take Shamari, LJ Figueroa, and Mustafa Heron up against any other three in that league, I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're yeah. toe-to-toe with Phil Booth and yeah. Eric Pascal and some of the, you know, and, and the Conrad Gillespie's of the world and, and, and certainly can hang with Marcus Howard and the Hauser boys. So, you know, it's just, I don't. I don't get it. I never have. It's a mercurial team. Even dating back to, you know, I know Coach Lavin will be in the building on Wednesday night. Um, but, you know, he won't he, be. Oh, he won't be? Because no. he'd come to Georgetown, I think I saw. Yeah. Um, but he'll be on everybody's t shirts because of cause he Law- Lawler's. He'll definitely be there in spirit. He'll be there in spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even back to some of those teams where they just had athletic piece after athletic piece. And I, I understand, like, hashtag athleticism or whatever, but. Um, yeah, I, I do feel kind of for Shamari. I hope he doesn't go off for 35 against us on Wednesday night for sure. But it does it does feel like things are in a bad spot now. And it's kind of interesting too because the Jays feel like things are obviously winning cures all. But 
I feel like the effort's been better, even dating back to the Marquette game. Yeah. The effort's been better. Um, they've just been, they've been hungrier. Yeah. Like, they just look more like they're ready to punch first. I don't right. know how to explain that in the basketball terms, but I know I use boxing terms a lot. But that's good, man. I mean, I just think they're just—I think they're just ready to take the fight to teams instead of wait and see what happens and then react accordingly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I think there's just a lot more assertiveness to be the first team going, and if you get on a roll or if you get a team reeling a little bit against you, to put them away. You know what I mean? Like, I think even against the Georgetown in the Georgetown game, Creighton. Built that second half lead. I think they were up seven. You know, and Georgetown came all the way back, and then it was like seesaw at the end. Credit the Jays for making great plays to finish it. That's a tough. That's a tough thing to do on the road, um, especially in a place where they don't usually play well historically. So that was that was gutty. That was gritty. That was all those things you like to hear. All those buzzwords in terms of just finding ways to get it done. They did right. that against Georgetown. Butler, I think, it was like a you know it was like a rock'em sock'em fist fight inside like yeah. they didn't create a whole ton of separation but they were in control from the jump um, despite the slow start despite the turnovers despite the poor shooting you know they stayed ahead I think they were up 10 towards the end of the first half and probably had a chance to extend it maybe by a possession or two um, that didn't go according to plan Butler cuts it to six but Creighton responds like you know what I mean when you stay in control and keep someone at arm's length and then just keep punching that's what Creighton did. They keep, they keep jab. Stick that jab. Just keep it out there. Like, keep him at range. Get your offense off. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, Creighton started making those gritty, tough plays they made against Georgetown, and they pulled out a 14-point win out of it. Like, that, that's what you do. You just wear on them, wear on them, wear on them, wear on them, and then you just put them away. Like, that's that's what Creighton did the last two games. Yeah, they missed a couple free throws in the first half, but I thought the free throw uh, shooting down the stretch was really solid for the Jays. Um, they still uh, lead in the Big East in conference play. They, they made all seven of their free throws in the second half. They did. Uh, Tyshawn towing the line four times makes all four attempts. He really did um, turn in a, a really solid half there in the second half for sure. Or, um, specifically, 20 minutes, played all 20 minutes of the half, 14 points. Um, two of three from three, a couple rebounds, assists, a couple steals. Uh, that's the, the one steal that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, it's just Creighton's second in free throw percentage and as a team in league play. They're behind Marquette, which if you would have told me that a month and a half ago, I would have laughed you out of this room. That would have been the end of this. Me on the spot. was bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's a, they're, at 70, they're at near 80% for the, for the in league play. Isn't it's a pretty crazy? heavy week this week in, in league play. So, four games on Wednesday night. Jays, as we mentioned, they're going to host St. John's. Um, they're the last game of the night. So, um, things get started on Fox Sports 1 at 5.30 Central Time. Marquette, with their fancy new top 10 rating, they head to Butler, Hinkle Fieldhouse, for a 5.30 tip Central Time. That'll be an interesting one. I think it will be, too. I wouldn't shock me if Butler um, kind of ratchets things up there, certainly. I'm trying to think, like, when you think about the matchup, like, Tucker, Hauser, Baldwin, Howard, uh, Marquette's probably got an advantage inside for sure. I mean, Theo Johnson's stud. He is a stud. Where did he come from? I mean, sophomore, man. He's really, I liked him last year. I thought he was going to be really he's good. He's got a great, I mean, not to sound, like, weird, but he's got a great body. I yeah, mean, he's, like, he's physical. He's, yeah. He can move really dudes. I feel like maybe it wasn't this weekend, but... Maybe the game before that, I mean, he messed around with close to a double-double, I yeah, felt like. Yeah, I think he blocked six shots against DePaul. Yeah. Like, he was huge. Yeah, DePaul. Um, and then Joey Hauser. I think Joey, I mean, best freshman in the league right now. Like, he's playing out of his mind. 
hit a huge shot against Xavier, like yeah. deep three, deep three, late, like because they were on the ropes. arguably ill-advised. Oh sure, but like cash that thing, and I was like, okay, all right, Joey Hauser, you do, you do, you, you do, man. you Hauser, come out of that Hauser shadow. Um, after Sam won Player of the Week, but yeah, that team's rolling right now. I, they probably have an edge at Hinkle. I mean, but they can match up with them, man. Like when you think about it, like Butler's got some dudes. Yeah, Gray- Grayton knows how tough it is to win there, like for sure. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this rest of the thing shakes out. Like that'll, I guess, if Marquette drops that one, because to me, Villanova is looking like they are Villanova, so good. like yeah. Buzzsaw Villanova. Again. To say I mean, they're rounding into shape is an understatement. Like yes. it's an understatement. Like is Villanova back? Like have they, like <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> they're the reigning national champion. Right. Like, they look so... Did you watch that Seton Hall game at all? Yeah. I it mean, was just absolutely mugged that team. Yeah. They it had, like, their scout team swatting shots at the top of the... I know. Top of the square. I the Slater dude is, like, you know, Jack Canfield. Yeah. He came in and just, like, deposited a shot in, like, the 10th <laughs> row. It's like, my God, man. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff they see in practice. Yeah, I mean... Did you see Phil Booth was Miles Powell in practice, too? He had to wear the scout team jersey. No. Yeah. That's awesome. That's how they prepare. They have Phil Booth be the other team's best player. That works. Like guard, Jay Rice, like, guard that for a week. <laughs> yeah. Boy. Talking about preparation. Right. Not, not a bad, not a weapon to have. Yeah, Villanova, they go to DePaul on Wednesday night. So they are 14th in the country. And sandwiched in between the, those two games is a 6 o'clock central tip for Providence at Seton Hall. Talk about some. Wow, that's, diff- a big, that's a big one for Seton Hall. That's a big one for Seton Hall. They have mm-hmm. to. They have to protect that home court. The Rock needs the dub uh, against they the Flyers. They've lost four in a row now, right? Four or five in a row. Let's see. And they lost five of six. Not enough for me. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're struggling. Man. Man. And each loss is getting worse too. They have lost four in a row. They're, they lost at Marquette, at Providence, at the or home against DePaul. And then got yeah. absolutely bludgeoned. By so it's five of six. They beat they beat Butler by one, one point. point, and they have then before that they they've been swept by DePaul. They have FYI. DePaul so is here's your here's your crazy stat for the first half of Vegas play. DePaul's three and zero against St. John's and Seton Hall. Isn't that nuts? Did you see that coming? No, but you know their roster looks oh, so much better no, no, than no. in the past couple years. I'm done with the DePaul jokes. They look for real. This right. year. Like like I won't say like for real for real, but like they look like. Would it be okay you? with a split? Would it shock you if they were the sixth seed after no. like tiebreakers and stuff no. fall out? No, not no. me either. Like, I don't think they're gonna be a playing team. That Paul Paul Reed is a is a is a is a kid. He's a dude. That, that guy can do it. Yeah. Um, and then you got Kane and Struis and like that yeah. that big guy inside. Oh my, yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're they're, um, they're not a cake. I think that was the stat that I saw reading Iman Brennan on the Athletic, um, doing his uh, in, in his bubble watch. You know, they talk about the Jays just have such a weird, just a weird resume right now. They do. Um, no wins against Quadrant One, but their strength and, and not schedule just one teams left on it either. Like they they don't have, I mean, not a lot. So not at home for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they missed those opportunities with Marquette and with uh, Villanova, but that strength of schedule just keeps them buoyed, and they don't have any bad losses, and they're not going to end up with any bad losses because right now the the NET ratings for the Big East teams are all between twenty and. Like, that is fantastic, just the depth of that league. I mean, you know, you, the Big 12 is a really deep league this year. Um, isn't it a luxury as a Jays fan now to go into conference play and yeah. have a stress release? Like, where you're like, well, that loss wasn't terrible. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of, like you feel – I'm sure I know Creighton fans freak out when Creighton loses still. They still have a little bit of that edge to them. 
because we saw it in our mentions when they lost four in a row. <laughs> but it's like none of those losses like killed the season. No. Whereas like six or seven years ago, yeah, you know, you lose three in a row to Evansville, Indiana State. And well, we're giving a little bit of we're giving a little bit of credit to DePaul too. But I mean, you think about the shot that Marcus Foster hit last year in Chicago. Yeah. If he doesn't make that shot, Jays are NIT probably in the NIT, yeah. right? Uh, the way that the rest of the season shaked out, mm-hmm. shook out. So. I mean, but now that's not a bad loss if they were to lose there. Um, so anyway, it's the league is really intense. Um, again, just top to bottom, uh, extremely competitive, and I think that'll be on display Wednesday night. That's a nice spread too. You start games at five thirty. Jays are the last game to tip at seven thirty that night. Um, you can really, if you're, so you like, are you gonna hit up? Like Marquette Butler at the mat or something for half an hour pregame, and then we get to the games. Check out the like for a lot of the time. I just watch it on my phone, you know, when we're mm. um, just sitting there, and, and my boys are interested in the other games going on too. So, so we got Marquette at Butler. Who does? Who does? Who does uh, who's Connor's favorite player? Who's James' favorite player? Uh, Connor's favorite player is Kyrie Thomas. So still, you have still, still you have yeah. Him yet? And he's okay. anytime he sees a black dude wearing a Creighton jersey, he's like <laughs> Kyrie Thomas. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but last year, at the <laughs> last year when we went down to watch the selection show, he got to meet Kyrie, which was fantastic. Yeah, I felt the same way, Connor. I was goosebumps when I met Kyrie too. Uh, yeah, so Kyrie's pretty awesome. Uh, James is a big Marcus Zagorowski fan, so um, he got to do the, J- the night out with the Jays on Saturday night, and he asked uh, Mark, he sought Marcus out and asked him for some pointers. And so when I went to go pick him up from the event, he just said, you know. James is trying to expand his game a little bit. Dad, dad. Marcus How old is James? D- uh, James is seven. James so seven. he wanted. Trying to get ahead of the curve. Huh? I picked him up and I, and I, I said, how was the event? He's like, dad, it was great. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski made me a better basketball player tonight. Is that, like, oh, whoa, okay. That's is that how he said it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you know James, he's, he speaks like a, like a teenager or a young adult. That's awesome. And I'm like, well, how did he help you? He's like, well, I wanted to know the difference between a step back three and a fadeaway jumper. And so I sought him out, and I, he showed me. I'm like, well, okay. That's pretty heady. Um, did he also tell you just, like, focus on making layups and stuff, you know, <laughs> taking attention to that layup line? Um, but, no, he, 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 he had a great time at that, and that's a great event um, if people haven't had a chance to check that out. But, no, he's a big Marcus Zagorowski fan. Obviously, Connor loves him, so Kyrie Thomas. Um, if we can just get Connor to, like, Focus on the game and not on the snacks at the game. Yeah, he's at that age still. He's only three. So well, those snacks probably help him in terms the of snacks what, other, what else he could be doing at the game. Right. So the snacks right. help everybody because then exactly. we can watch the game <laughs> and he eats. So exactly. it works out all the way around. Keeps him locked in on something yeah. and then we don't have to worry. Yeah. About it. You know, I just. But have you had a Hurricane Connor event at the game yet? Has What's up? Been, has there been a Hurricane Connor incident at the oh, game? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. We we uh, some of those non-con games that started at eight on a weekend. Okay. We took him to that, and he's uh, he's way more personable than James was at that age for a late night situation. Um, but yeah, there were a couple Hurricane Connor situations leaving. Sometimes he'll just run up the staircase. Oh no! From our spot, just like take off, and he'll just take off. Uh, he's fast. He'll punch bye. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. So, you can't. I'm like that one one eye over my shoulder trying to watch the game. One eye thinking like, how far can he really get? And I'm like. He <laughs> actually could get really far. So <laughs> that's uh, pretty good. But now it's fun. And uh, yeah, they look like they have a good time. I see every now and then. Yeah, they have to keep on your kids, but they're they, kind of like they look like they're having a good time over there. Watching. I mean, Dad's the one that they gotta watch more. Yeah. When the game starts, he gets pretty. Crazy I mean, they're too. they're they're constantly just trying to get on the monitor on the on the jumbotron. Okay. I mean, that's the whole deal. So um, they did this time again, which was great. But uh, 
Yeah, and then Thursday night, Xavier heads to Georgetown. That's also a tough game. I mean, that's – I know that's a hard segue for my family to uh, – No, I think that fits. I think that's a that's a, that's a knock, em, knock em down, drag them out. Xavier needs that road win, too, and, and Georgetown. Xavier, like, needs a win. Right? I mean, I'm not – And we play them Sunday. I guess I that they're probably the team that I've watched the least in the Big East really? this year. Um, they're actually the one I've seen the most. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I just I've seen them play. Some I just it looks every time I every time I box score cruising, they've got twenty they got twenty turnovers, man. What is yeah, the deal? I don't know, man. Quinton Gooden the other night against uh, who they played the other night, Providence. So like they're two. I think they played Marquette this weekend, right? Yeah. So they played Providence the other night, and I watched that one. Quinton Gooden finished with six points, zero rebounds, one assist, and six turnovers. Yikes! It's like, Woof. And that's like your starting guard, right? Yeah. I think, they sw- I think they switched some they, things they up have, against right. Marquette. Like, yeah. they, they play a little different than they did. I need to watch that game again, but they played a little different than they than they had in the past. I think they played through Scrubs a little more. That guy's, is, that guy's good. He's really good. Um, and I think Tyreek Jones and, and Zach Hankins are good too, but they just aren't – they just don't put it together ever yeah. 40 minutes. Like, there's just always some phase of the ball that's absolutely catastrophic. I can't explain it. They either their offense goes in the tubes or turning the ball over like crazy or the defense can't get any stops at all. It just looks like a team that lacks, like, that doesn't, doesn't know who they are right now, you know? And, I, and, you know, going through the coaching change, I'm sure yeah. there's, there's some, like, residual effect of, like, having a different voice telling you certain things. And, and wow, Oklahoma's getting pasted by Baylor at home. That's crazy. I didn't see that coming. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. They just don't like a team that doesn't have an identity at the moment. And I think if they figure it out, I think they have enough talent to be dangerous. They look very talented. I mean, but, I can tell. And they have some length. And they play hard at times. Um, I just don't – I just don't think they're a good basketball team right It's now. a tough spot for them, too, because, you know, they've lost three in a row. Um but only one of those was on the road. So they lost yeah. at Villanova by 10. They lose to Providence at home by a bucket. They lose to Marquette at home by five. And now they go on the road to Georgetown and Creighton. Now, granted, they beat Georgetown in Cincinnati. Georgetown was putting on bad, though. Right? Yeah. Like they, they turned it around. around. Yeah. Yep. Georgetown kind of like Georgetown's a little helter skelter, too, but they were beating Xavier down for a minute. Yeah. I think they were up 17 in the first so half. So they've, they've got a quick turnaround. So the Jays play Wednesday, Xavier plays at Georgetown Thursday. And then these and Creighton hosts Xavier on yeah. Sunday, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So um, they'll come in. We play uh, the Jays play Xavier uh, twice in a in a essentially a ten day period. They'll play them uh, in Omaha on February third, and then at Cincy at the Cintas Center on February thirteenth. So one of those quick turnarounds for the, so the Jays get Xavier on Super Bowl Sunday, and then Valentine's Day weekend. Then, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, bringing in some February holidays with the uh, with the Muskies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it'll be an interesting week for the Jays. They, uh, like you said, two wins could really help them. Well, first, two wins would get them over 500 in conference play. Yep. Um, and really start to help them elevate above the middle of that pack. Which it'll, is it'll probably boost the metrics quite a bit. I don't know about the Xavier win, but the St. John's win, I feel like, might boost the metrics a little bit. I think uh, the computers like St. John's still, right? Yeah, yeah, still a little bit. More than they like each other. <laughs> More than they like each other. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens if Creighton can protect home court this week and what can, that can do for their metrics. So I think they're trending in that direction of being a team. That they're, first of all, they're trending the schedule. Like, 
holding a ton of water right now. I mean, that thing is it's top safely 10, right? top it's eight, seven last yeah, night. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on your metric, but it's yeah, it's consistently top ten. So that's gonna be you know while they don't have a marquee win yet, and they might not get one. I don't know if they need one with the, their strength of schedule. If they can just like, they might end up having a resume that looks like they just like struck out against the quad ones, but but, but annihilated the quad twos. You know right. what I mean? Like their quad twos. I don't. And know. then like they undefeated against everything else, like without the bad losses you said. Like that's that's probably gonna get you in. You know what I mean? If, they, if that's yeah. the way it plays out. I just I'm I'm taking this entire championship week in selection committee with a huge grain of salt this year with quads and all these things that and the NET ratings like yeah. this it's such a it's a new thing mm-hmm. and, I and, I, and it feels like we can already identify some of the flaws in it too which well, is interesting because I know people hated the RPI but it's like that thing wasn't it's, it's a, every system is flawed you know what I mean so right. like as long as you know what they are you can see if teams are being their resumes or not, like how many teams are trying to gain the system here. With the NET, the flaws are starting to be identified a little bit, and obviously they don't gain the system, but you can also see what teams have clearly, what teams are clearly inflated by the flaws in the metric itself, you know what I mean? Like, right. if it's based on how you play and not who you play, being the dog crap out of garbage teams makes you look really good in the NET. But right. are you an NCAA tournament team? Because are you tested? That's kind of that's kind of the thing I have with it is, you know, beating sub two fifty, sub three hundred teams by thirty or forty points makes your NET number go up. Yeah, should it? I don't think so. I don't think so. Either. I feel like the RPI had a better grasp on how to measure that. Man, there are some disparities to be uh, to be kind with some of these teams as they compare their RPI That's to the, the NETs. Yeah. I mean, there's some big-time disparities. Yeah. So. You know, Rass likes that KPI. You ever check out that? Different yeah. than the Ken Palm? Yeah, it's different than Ken Palm. I think, it's, uh, I think the Michigan State SID is who runs it, actually. He's behind oh. it. Creighton's 44th. I'm not giving a lot of uh, water to anything that anybody in like the leadership <laughs> at Michigan State's <laughs> campus is doing these days. But I uh, mean, he, but he, the, the KPI is like, it's, a, it's an algorithm based on just your resume itself, like who you beat, and there's like, you know, there's values attributed to it, and who you lost to, and things like that, so, Creighton looks good in that one, I think they're 44th right now in that, I think they're actually 39th in RPI, so the RPI gets Creighton too, even though they don't use it anymore, but, I think I saw, like yesterday, Creighton was 44, and Nebraska was 51, so I think KPI is like the only metric right now that has <laughs> Creighton ahead of Nebraska, uh, but, that might not be for long, but, um, yeah, for real. Um, but yeah, but yeah, like there's just it'll be interesting to see what gives, what has more weight to it um, in that selection room in terms of those metrics and things like that. Especially with the NET being new, um, I just don't know. I I feel like I know what the flaws are right now. And I feel like those are bad flaws. I feel like you shouldn't be given more credit for being, you know, being the tar of a bad team. But I think the NET weighs heavily. Yeah, because it's about efficiency. Just Your win. numbers are better against bad teams. Just w- just win, baby, right now. Just right? Win. I mean, I feel yeah. like oh, yeah. things were a little gloomy for the Jays fans. The Blue Jay underground was a little getting a little testy. But it's better to talk about this now. 
What? Because it's better to have this conversation than like a conversation about like what's wrong with the team, right? Oh man, are you yeah. kidding? Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, this was always going to be a tough year to make the NCAA tournament. I felt okay, um, and, I, and I think you know we we got out ahead of our skis a little bit after the Cayman Islands. Uh, Clemson has obviously turned out to be a good team, but nothing to write home about. Right? I mean, they're struggling. Uh, they had a chance to, to pick up a win over NC State. I think a couple nights ago they, they lost in the last second three. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's the, that's the, that's the big win right what now would you, for the Jays. What so would your reaction be if this Creighton team were to make the NCAA tournament? If they do, I'll be pleasantly surprised and also not shocked if they're the team that actually gets through <laughs> the Sweet 16. I'm telling you, man, really? I've watched college basketball <laughs> for 30-some years, and it's – Sometimes when, you're least expect when you least expect it okay. can make a run. I mean, honestly, you get into a neutral court and we hit some shots. I mean, honestly, we could we could win two games. Mm -hmm. I mean, last year was the year to do it, considering we had a 16 seed in our second game. <laughs> God, <laughs> sons of ah. I'll tell you what. That I don't know that. that, that I don't think that there has been that enough upheaval about how that went down. That trip. That trip was like something else because. The Creighton game from the tip was ugly. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't just like if you're it, from not just from the Creighton fan perspective wasn't ugly. It was an it just ugly sucked. basketball game. It was just an awful game to yeah, watch. One hundred percent. And then to be sitting in the media room writing the story about it, and then to see that UMBC is tied with Virginia at halftime, and I was like, I was sitting next to Johnny Atal, and I was like, I was like, what do you think, man? Like, what's the what, just it's a tie game right now. Like, what are the odds? What are the odds? He's what like, are the odds this is when it happens? He's like, Virginia by 18. He, he's yeah, he was oh, like, yeah, sure. he's like, no freaking way Virginia's going to smash this team. And then, like, so we're still, we, we just, we just, like, put our head down and kept writing. The second half starts, and, like, so it was a pro-Virginia crowd, obviously, because it's ACC country, clearly. So it was a pro-Virginia crowd and, like, sitting on top of us because we're underneath the arena. So like everything, we're, we're just not hearing a lot of cheers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking up at the score, and I'm going, John, I think it's, I think it's at least paying attention, worth paying attention to. And he's like, oh, all right. And then like we, we just kept going, and like it got to the, like the 12 minute mark, and and then like UMBC was comfortably in front a little, like comfortably for a team oh, that plays like Virginia. For sure. Okay. So like there's not a lot of possessions left in this game. So like 10 minutes left, we're like, okay, we have to get out of the court because like this kind of feels like history. It might be happening. You sure. know what I mean? Or and you at least want to see how it plays out. And like so we get down to the court and like so there's five minutes left in the game and UMBC is like starting to stretch it to 12 and it's like yeah. we're like looking at each other like there aren't enough possessions left in this game for Virginia to come back because they don't play that way. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like they're gonna have to force some stuff totally out of character. And then <laughs> we're just so then security starts coming out through the tunnels and it's like Everybody just decked out in black. And it's like, what's going on? And we're like, they're going to storm the court. We're like, what? At the NCAA tournament? Like, look at these fans, man. They're going to, there's like Carolina fans. There's, there's like A&M fans. There's like, everybody is just getting ready to like be a part of this as much sure. as they possibly can be. Like, there was an army of just black outfit suited up around the perimeter just waiting to prevent Madness, <sighs> and then like you're watching Virginia fans that are like just packed together and just like Can't they're watching know. the number one overall seed 
get rolled. Not just the number not one seed. Not lose. They got rolled. Not just the number one seed either. The yeah. number one overall seed in the entire tournament. Whole thing. Get rolled by a 16 for the first time. It wasn't like a 16 hit a buzzer four, beater. Hit a 50 footer to make history. They were clearly the better team. They whipped Virginia. And I'm t- I mean, it made, I, I don't know how many Creighton fans stayed and like, you know, appreciated the history of what happened because it was really cool. Like seeing the countdown and seeing the crowd and then like just seeing UMBC and it was how cool. jacked up they were. So it, like, was, it, was, it was cool. Four or five minutes because then, then you were like, K-State gets to play that team next. Yeah. 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 Just that's for, I, that that's what I went to bed. Yeah, that was <laughs> I woke James up and I said, hey, you got to come out and watch this because for the first time ever, a 16 is going to be the one. He okay. comes out and watches the buzzer and I say, go back to bed because daddy needs a drink. Because now, <laughs> for the mean, next hour, I have to try to reconcile that the Sweet 16 that I've been rooting for my entire life could have happened <laughs> this year right. if we would have made a shot or two in the second half against Kansas freaking State. Shorthanded Kansas State. Shorthanded Kansas State. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. God, why did we go down this road? Why? Maybe you were just, maybe you were making, like, maybe it is, like you said, maybe you were meant to suffer. That's what I'm saying. That like, for this. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But back to your original question. If yeah. the Jays can make an NCAA tournament, I'd be pleasantly surprised. For sure. Um, I think this team would probably stand to have a nice run in the NIT. Um, if they can get some more playing time together with that core group of Tyshawn, uh, Mitch, Marcus, if Damien gets back into the mix, obviously he's a sophomore that yeah. he's not going to be able to. He's a sophomore too, it's crazy. He's a sophomore, he's mm-hmm. going to need to be worked back into the rotation here a little bit. Think um, about that junior class next year though, if we're just like, I know we're way off the rails right now. We've already talked about St. John's and Xavier, so. I don't care about those If you don't want to hear about the future, I'll just turn tune out now, I guess. But like, right. think about like, Denzel Mahoney will be a junior, Mitch Ballack, Tyson Alexander, uh, Davion will be a senior. Damian Mar- Jefferson will be a junior. Martin. Jacob Jefferson will be a you think will, Tini, will Martin come back? Martin, I, you know what? I think he will. I haven't. I'm curious about that though. Yeah. Because I do wonder when I look at the Copeland thing, that dude had a chance to go make some money this summer and he didn't do it. I know. And and he didn't do it for you know reasons we can understand for sure. Um, and certainly, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're like, hell yeah, great things coming back. But now he, he's, now his career is over for in terms of. Now he came back to play against the tournament. He's not going to get to do that. And the next step of his career is a rehab. And his recovery, for and his recovery rehab. will be taking place during the time when right. guys are supposed to be showing out right. for teams. So that's doubly difficult. So right? yeah, it's it's yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know if I would fault him either way because he is older. Um, you know, this is his fourth year technically. So Get he's already gym. at three twenty ACL. So like. So to me, it's like if you've already had three torn ACLs, what's the, like honestly like stuck by lightning? No, like what are the chances he's gonna get a fourth? Like let the yeah, dude play. <laughs> I don't, yeah, like you figure you've had as much bad luck as you could possibly have. Yeah, but um, um, yeah, give, I don't know. give the fans a little bit of a preview of Denzel Mahoney. Ooh, um, really? F- I, below the rim, like I, I think he's a below the rim Marcus Foster. How about that? So he's the Marcus Foster, the best kid from St. John's. Scott was Marcus Foster. Here's the yeah, that <laughs> whoever that guy wrote about is Denzel Mahoney. Yeah. Okay, he can shoot the heck out of the three ball though, like like butter. I mean, he'll. It, I don't know if anybody watched him warm up before the uh, the Butler game because he goes through like an extended workout, probably a good hour before the team's even on the court. Sure. So you have to get there super early to see him work out, but challenge accepted. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, the net barely moves sometimes. Like, it's money, you know what I mean? So he's really good three-point shooter. 
Uh, he's a, just a really big physical body. He can take contact inside. Six six, six five. Uh, what is he? Uh, six five. Six five. Uh, I don't know if I can win him six six. Okay. But he, he definitely is that three four type that Creighton likes. Um, but he, yeah, he's really strong, really mature body, like big East body. I think he's gonna get to the free throw line a lot because he 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 plays through contact well. He knows how to he knows how to you know use his shoulder and hips in the right way. Uh, to, to be physical inside without getting off balance or getting shoved around or, or being reckless with it in terms of getting a lot of offensive fouls. So I think he's a guy that can, you know, can drive to the rim, get to the free throw line, but he can also, you know, if he's a small ball four as a trailer man or a pick and pop guy, I mean, deadly. Um, I'm not quite sure what he's like as a, you know, as a passer or a, a creator or a playmaker, but he's definitely a scorer. Sure. And... Yeah, I mean, just another, just another offensive weapon that Greg McDermott's gonna have at his disposal next year. He's really good. He's 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 not like you know a first round NBA pick, but he's got some potential, for sure. So we've got, let's say Martine comes back. So senior day next year would be Davion Mintz, Martine Crumple. You've got Tyshawn Alexander. You've got Mitch Ballack. You've got Denzel Mahoney. You've got Zagorowski, Christian Bishop. Jacob Epperson back in the fold. Everybody, and Samson Froling back in the fold. I mean, that's why I'm saying this year would be gravy if they could make an NCAA tournament. I've said yeah. that from the jump. Again, I got out of, I got a little bit out ahead of my skis after the Caymans. Um, and after that first half against Gonzaga. I mean, the whole game essentially against Gonzaga, they were at that level. Um, and so it'd be nice to see them. Uh, here, but you just got to pick up a win at a time, and I'm not trying to get too out yeah, of myself. Yeah, that would probably slow it down. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? We're right in an hour. Um, I'm good. You have any questions about the women's team? I mean, I feel bad for playing. I mean, yeah, it's tough. They've, they've they're having some, a tough go. They've had some rough luck with the injuries, which has affected their practice situation, but there's uh, they definitely said the things that should be said and done the things that should be done already to recover from that. And it's like, I think there's there's a little bit of what just happened in terms of why Butler and Providence were able to come into Omaha and handle them the way they were. Yeah. So practice was, I think practice was good today. Everybody was locked in mentally. Um, everybody was really competitive, even chippy at some times, which is good because I think you want to see a little bit of a, that bite after you get after you get punched like that, so we're ten and ten right now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah four and five, four and five at the turn in the Big East play, which isn't, you know, you'd prefer to be five and four, but that's the hand you're dealt now. So, um, yeah, we'll see how they can recover because they got to go on a road to Georgetown and Villanova, two really tough road games, uh, tough places for them to play for sure. Um, they do have they do have four. You know, St. John's, Seton Hall, Marquette, DePaul still at home, so that's that's good to have those games at home in the second half of league play as opposed to on the road. So, But, yeah, this weekend will be interesting to see how they respond because they could probably play some of their best basketball and still lose to both of those teams Yeah, given how tough that road trip is, but we'll see. All right. With that, we will uh, have two Blue Jay beats. I feel like you guys are doing two Blue Jay beats this week. Yeah, St. John's Super Bowl. Xavier. Yeah, St. John's. Uh, and I don't know what's important game, so yeah, we'll see. It won't affect anything. But tune in uh, to whiteandbluereview.com and all of our social media channels for the post-game uh, podcast recaps 
from Matt DeMarinas and John Niatawa. Um, two home games this week for the Blue Jays, St. John's on Wednesday night and Xavier on Sunday afternoon. I want to thank the folks from Script Town Brewing for another great night hosting us here uh, Monday night in the podcast live. Um, so thank you, John and Jill and everybody from Script Town, and thanks to all you Blue Jay fans listening at home. Really appreciate you guys sending questions in, giving us comments, giving us feedback, and supporting our show and our site and all that we do. So for Matt DeMarinas, I'm Brian Dodd. I want to say have a great night, and go Jays.